amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Blog Talk Radio. Recap Radio Show. It's Sunday, December 11th of 2016. I'm JB. EJ has the weekend off. Uh, congratulations to him and his wife on the birth of their second son, uh, Dylan, the other day. Uh, look forward to having him back with us, but uh, certainly he'll have his uh, hands full for the next couple of weeks as we head into the holidays. And uh, next week we anticipate being the last show of the calendar year, certainly. But um, yeah, we're looking for somebody to sit in for the host. It kind of occurred to me, oh, yeah, we have another host. I had f- almost forgotten. So, Ryan, good to have you with us, man. Almost forgot you existed. Glad to have you aboard the Happy Recap. Welcome back. Yeah, it is great to, to be back. And believe me, there were weeks where I was confused as to whether or not I did exist myself. Uh, as a bit of backstory, I've been for the last several months uh, actively studying to pass the CPA exam. So uh, that really started in earnest around July. And as of right now, I'm a, uh, I've got two of the four parts fully passed. I've got a third part that I'm waiting on a score on. So right now I'm in that little week or so gap between uh, finding out what the score is to know whether I need, I, I need to go back and take the third part again or or if I move on to the fourth part. So just so happened that this weekend was the perfect weekend where I had availability for the first time in half a year, and EJ just happened to not be available. So this worked out pretty well. Well, if you keep that window open through next Sunday, I bet you EJ would send you something nice for Christmas, just saying. <laughs> I, I might be willing to make that trade-off. Well, there you go. Well, we certainly have a lot to discuss. It's been a couple of weeks since we've been able to do a show. Uh, you know, personal lives do tend to get a little bit ahead of us, as uh, usually it doesn't keep us away for six months, but uh, it, you know, it can keep us away from the show for a couple of weeks. A lot of things going on in Metsland. Uh, certainly the most notable occurred before the winter meetings uh, for the New York Mets, and of course that is the re-signing of Ioannis Cespedes, which I don't know about you, Ryan. I know, I know you've been a little bit of a, a, a fog, but... Uh, that seemed quick and painless this time, didn't it? Yeah, that was really uh, unbelievable to, to see how quickly that that went from, you know, really zero to signed. It, you know, the, I, you know the, the talk was that the Mets wanted a, the negotiations to be done by the end of the winter meetings. They didn't want to hang them over them like, like it happened last year. But for it to have been resolved that quickly and that painlessly and that economically, uh, all things considered, it has to be considered a victory for all parties involved. Uh, you know, Yoannis gets the, the the contract that he was hoping for. He gets the guaranteed money he was hoping for and the security of knowing that with the no trade clause, 
that he doesn't he doesn't have to go anywhere for the next several years, and the Mets get the left fielder every day that was the linchpin of their lineup for the last season and a half, and you know with with hopefully a healthy rotation and a lineup that's bringing back a lot of the the stalwarts from last season, hopefully most of them being healthy for a full year. You know, they, they have everything that they need to be able to be a contender and with a few more pieces around the perimeter of the roster can be a true legitimate playoff and deep into the playoff contender for the third straight year. Yeah, and I think the thing, too, with, with you know, as we were getting into the process, uh, of course, so we had our good friend a couple months ago, Casey Stern. I had to rib him a little bit because, you know, his, his basic thing, we had him on around the trade deadline, and his, his stance was Cespedes is as good as gone. Just get over it. The money's not there. The Mets aren't going to spend it. He, he's going to be somewhere else next year. And uh, I, I got him to give him a begrudging. Uh, I'm glad to be wrong about that one because uh, he was convinced. He had us convinced. And uh, it was one of those things that, that reminded me most of uh, after the Mets traded for Piazza back in uh, 97 or 98. Um, the... Um, the negotiations there, all you know, Met fans are all worried about that, of course, at the time. Would Piazza stay? Would Piazza stay? And, um, of course, he did, and barely, he didn't even go on the market. But it was so quick, it was so painless. It's like, you know, will Mike Piazza be a Met next year? Day later, Piazza will be a Met for the next seven years. And, uh, you know, I, I like the deal. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I'm, I was fully in favor of a four-year deal to Cespedes. I didn't want to see him give a fifth or sixth year now i felt the same way last year too and technically hypothetically um in essence we've given him five years but uh you know the four-year contract i'm I'm basically happy with it i like the years i like the dollar amount um and you know what cespedes was absolutely replaceable um he was absolutely replaceable but there, there are a lot of qualifiers for that comment um you have to go out and find somebody and not anybody will do see bruce comma j uh, not anybody can just take that spot and be that spark plug for the New York Mets that Cespedes has been. And you need to be willing to give up the talent, most likely, in addition to the dollars to bring that person in because you're probably going to have to trade for that person because we all know this is a pretty weak free agent market. There was not another outfielder on the board. I mean, hypothetically, right, it went from Cespedes down to kind of, you know, Fowler. Yeah, you know, in the grand scheme of things, the numbers of Cespedes may have been replaceable, but everything else around the, you know, I, and I hate getting into intangibles. I, I you know, I'm I'm someone who lives and breathes with numbers, but the effect that he has on that clubhouse, what he does with that team, what he does for this fan base, he could have been replaced on a, ter- on a sheer numbers perspective, but uh, we've been conditioned as Mets fans to kind of know that, you know, talk, talk is nothing. Talk, you know, talk is beyond cheap. Talk is worthless. Uh, and, and unless you actually show in your actions uh, that you're committed to something, then, then our fan base is never going to believe that you're actually committed to it. So especially with Sandy Alderson in place, you know, what he says is usually a cover for being able to operate so that he isn't showing his full hand. Uh, so the fact that the Mets went out and said that they wanted this done and then they got it done quickly and they brought back this guy to this team at this point in time is the the best possible set of maneuver, uh, moves that could have been made 
and hopefully as the the free agent window starts to close and and guys who are out there are being signed it will allow for that leverage to to come back to the Mets that they didn't have during the winter meetings to entertain the notion of a move of a Jimmy Bruce or a Curtis Granderson somewhere down the road. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and not to say that Cespedes is a faultless player. I mean, he can play lazy. He plays golf. He plays golf when he's hurt. His lungs are probably the same color as the Grinch's heart uh, from the chain-smoking camels in the, in, the, in, in, the, um, in the hallway between the dugout and the clubhouse. But, uh, you know, the reality of it is this is a guy, and, and, and this is one of those great intangibles that uh, it's really hard to understand. And I think, even, I think even ownership and management had trouble getting it. There is an intangible to playing in New York on the biggest stage in the country. Uh, because, quite frankly, you know, people say, well, Los Angeles is almost as big of a city. Well, go to Dodger Stadium, different atmosphere. Go in the media, the locker room, different atmosphere. Um, New York is the, is the big stage for sports, and the reality of it is that this is a guy who not only succeeds on the New York scene, he thrives on it. And, you know, you can bring just anybody in. In some ways, the Jay Bruce trade was one of the best, in, in a way, is a better trade to an extent than the actual trade to bring in Cespedes. And the reason being is that's the trade to prove the Mets they couldn't get rid of Cespedes. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think the the struggles that Jay Bruce had, and we'll never know how much of the struggles early on were a function of the fact that, that New York was reportedly one of the places that he was very, uh, very reluctant to go to. So we we'll never know if that really came through in the in the number struggle in the transition, or just the fact that he didn't have Joey Votto getting on base forty percent of the time in front of him, you know, and constantly having a guy on base when he was coming up to to the to the plate. So there's a whole number of factors that come into it. But if the plan, if the fallback plan was well, if we lose Cespedes in the off season as a free agent, at least now we have Jay Bruce on a relatively cheap option year that we can that we can plug in in the outfield and and move along. The the performance of Bruce in the second half certainly had to have indicated that you know the the final eight games aside where he started to rebound and and really did help the Mets you know in that that final wild card push you know, a full season of Bruce was probably not something that the front office was all that interested in once they had about a quarter season of Bruce in the aftermath of the July, you know, July trade deadline. And certainly, obviously, Jay Bruce, you know, um, one of the things that's most obvious with him is that uh, between him and Granderson, somebody's got to go. Because I think it's safe to say at this point, it's not going to be Conforto. Um, Ligaris does not have any value and he's not slated to be an everyday guy. Um, the Mets seem to, apart from Lagares, lack an actual everyday center fielder. It does seem that Granderson will be center field by default, which you know certainly sets up the possibility of a future deadline deal coming up during next season. Because I have my I have my doubts as to whether or not that's a viable long term solution. But uh, it, it does seem like the Mets' general attitude is the sooner we can be rid of Jay Bruce at this point, the better. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it's definitely a situation where, uh, you know, especially concerning with the Ligaris, uh reported injury uh, in in winter ball uh, over the weekend, uh, that's that's going to be something that's going to have to be monitored and tracked. But yeah, you know, Granderson has become the center fielder by 
you know, lack of other options. It's, you know, it, it, you know that you're in trouble at a position like center field when the talk is that Jose Reyes may be seeing action at center field as part of, a, you know, shifting around the field and, and finding spots for him to play a uh, super utility role almost. But the, the fact that an aging uh, middle infielder who's been playing corner infield because he doesn't necessarily have the range at, at shortstop anymore might be considered at center field uh, as part of a timeshare with an aging right fielder uh, with, you know, no, with no arm to speak of. Uh, that that does indicate that there's a lack of uh, resources available within the depth of the system to to be able to replace, uh, or re- not even replace, to be able to have a true starting center fielder for the team. Yeah, absolutely, and I mean it's certainly obviously a problem that's been going on. I mean, uh, you know, there really only was one decent center fielder on the, on the free agent market, Derek Fowler, um, who signed a ridiculous deal with St. Louis, um, of you know. A, I think it's safe to say was was a bit of an overpay, and uh, a different kind of overpay came out of the Nationals when they acquired Adam Eaton for three quarters of the package that they'd been offering to the White Sox uh, for uh, Chris Sale. Um, now, some people actually like this deal. I I, I have to admit I'm I'm not a fan. Other than uh, I kind of like the Nationals trading away all their prospects and giving up their future. Don't get me wrong, uh, especially because their window is covering tightly closed with the uh, fairly public feud with. Uh, uh, Mr. Harper that was in the media this week, uh, you know, it's certainly interesting to see what's going on towards the South, but, um, you know, uh, I think it was Fangraphs today um, puts the Mets at 84 wins for next year. Which I, I'm going to go on record as saying I think that's a bit low. It has the, the Nationals at 90 wins, winning the division. I think that's perhaps a little bit high uh, because if there's one thing I, I feel like the Nationals are lacking at this point down the road, they, they don't have chemistry. They don't seem to really like each other very much. And uh, Espinosa basically talking himself off the roster yesterday and getting himself traded after skipping a Nationals fan fest kind of proves my point, uh, including when the uh, Nationals uh, 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 traded for Adam Eaton this week, uh, one unnamed player, which, I mean, I think a lot of people have taken their stabs as to who they think it was, uh, texted uh, Ken Rosenthal with WTF. Yeah, there's there's a seemingly a lot of external dysfunction going on within the Nationals right now, and they they were clearly desperate to make some sort of splash uh, at the winter meetings. Uh, you know, obviously being heavily connected with at various times uh, in the Chris Sale trade, with a potential deal for Andrew McCutcheon, and then ultimately uh, bringing in Adam Eaton. I do agree that it was an overpay. I don't know that it was necessarily a huge overpay in terms of the, the return that they gave, but that's simply because of the the youth, the, the comparative youth of Eaton, especially in relation to McCutcheon, uh, and the number of years and the dollars that they have committed for, it, for Eaton uh, and being able to have him locked up for, I believe, four or five more seasons. So, to, to that end, I do think that the, the return is a little bit more understandable, but certainly I think they, they overpaid in prospects uh, for the return that they're going to get. And long-term, I, I think it does set them back over the ne- if we're looking at over the next four, five, six years, 
but in the short term, I still think the Mets do have work to do to be able to, to beat the Nationals. I think the Nationals had a lot of things break right for them last year, but while a lot of things broke wrong for the Mets in terms of injuries, uh, but I do think that there is still a gap of maybe two to four wins that the Mets would need to to, to make up uh, if the season started today that the, the Mets are certainly behind the Nationals and the Nationals should be their prohibitive favorite going into the season. Yeah, I mean, the other question here, I mean, if you think about this, you, you go into the winter meetings. Now, the Mets were expected to make a move and didn't. Uh, we, we A lot of people expected the uh, the Mets to make a move as far as the, the surplus of outfielders. Um, trade market hasn't developed, I think, because obviously you've still got several free agent outfielders out there that I don't think a lot of us expected we would still be out there, specifically the Blue Jays guys and uh, Encarnacion and uh, Joy Bats. To, um, you know, so I, I understand why that, you know, that hasn't developed. I think some fans, especially on social media, were less than understanding at the Mets' lack of action. Uh, there were a couple people that uh, text, uh, uh, tweeted at me that uh, did the Mets even sent a representative to the winter meetings, and which I always – uh, smart Alec responded, uh, actually, they sent one more than last year because Sandy was there this year. Of course, for health reasons, couldn't be there last year. Uh, but, um, you know, the reality of it is you have a market still developing. But if you're a fan of the other team to the south of us and you went into the winter meetings thinking, we got a shout at Chris Sale, we got a shout at Andrew McCutcheon, and you, you, you walked away with Adam Eaton and you still need a closer, uh, to me, that, that's still an F on the offseason for the Washington Nationals. Now, they go out and bring in Kenley Jansen. That grade changes significantly, but, uh, you know, mysteriously, they're fighting the Marlins for him. Yeah, I, I, I do have to admire the Marlins for their plan of having a great postseason bullpen without actually winning any games in the regular season. So kudos to them for trying to figure out that loophole. Uh, but on the whole, I you know, I always thought that the trade market uh, and the, the Mets hoping to trade one of Bruce or Granderson at the winter meetings was probably ambitious just because in general, the, the free agent market has been developing slower and slower over the last several years. And, and going into the winter meetings, there was the, you know, the momentary pause for concern about whether or not there was going to be a new collective bargaining agreement agreed to in time. Uh, and what impact that may have had on teams and their financial flexibility uh, as it related to any luxury tax issues. Uh, I I still expect uh, one or both of Granderson and Bruce to to be traded at some point, still four to six weeks too early to to get into panic mode in terms of what might happen if they don't have one of the guys moved by, say, January 15th or January 25th. Uh, so it's still a long way off, but it, it would be uh, it would be nice to hear some action related to the Mets in terms of bullpen arms, uh, especially while we wait to find out what sort to wait to find out what sort of penalty uh, Familia may face as a result of the domestic incident uh, from last month. Yeah, and I think I mean yeah we we've uh, uh, I mean the the Familia thing obviously we uh, you know frustrating beyond words um especially with the, you know the stance that, that uh, a lot of us you know have against domestic violence and uh you know th- there's there's a certain part of me that that wishes uh well let's just get somebody else to close at this point 
Uh, and let's find a way of making Mr. Familia go away because that's, that's, that's a non-tolerable offense. That's not how baseball works, though. He will be back at some point, and you've got to try and save games in between now. I trust Addison Reed, but you still need an eighth-inning guy, preferably one who's had closing experience. Now, the good thing is, as far as that market developing, I mean, again, the a lot of the background stuff that goes on during the winter meetings, we never hear about. And for the most part of the of the about 15 or so relief pitchers, I think the Mets should be targeting either on the free agent market or on the um, uh, trade market, some of which uh, actually spent time as a Met last year, including Fernando Salas. Um, the reality is I think only one of them has come off the board at this point. Um, and uh, the... Um, the reality for me is that I'm not in panic mode there. Um, I'd like to see some action there as far as the bullpen, you know, because the, the reality of it is to me, I mean, you, you can you can look at fan graphs numbers all you like and say the Mets are a second place team, the, the Nationals are a first place team. Well, I'm going to disagree with that to a certain extent because I think, quite frankly, the Nationals are a bunch of malcontents who just can't come together and, you know, you just can't predict. It, you know, the reality of it is, is the Mets finished eight games behind them last year with a decimated roster. They finished ahead of them when arguably the Nationals had a better roster two years ago. So, I mean, the, anything can happen. Uh, that's thankfully, Fangraphs is great, but thankfully they still play the game on the field. Um, that being said, I think it's a two-team race. And, you know, it really comes down to, you know, when you have to look, when you've taken the time to deal with the humanity side of this, you, you have to realize that the Marlins don't have pitching. And, you know, I hate saying that because, you know, again, all of us, everybody in baseball who loves great pitching loved Jose Fernandez. Um, and certainly a great human being, a great person. Um, and, you know, certainly one of the most electric pitchers in baseball. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, baseball does go on next season, especially for the Florida Marlins, just like everybody else. Um, Atlanta is not, I mean, they're, they're, half of their rotation, including our beloved Bartolo Colon, is borderline Social Security age at this point. Um, and so, you know, you, I don't see a whole lot coming out of there. I mean, a bunch of 40, you know, with R.A. Dickey and uh, Jamie Garcia and uh, certainly Bartolo Colon, and Julio Tehran, you know, I don't know. If I was a fan of a team going into a brand-new ballpark, Rye, I don't know. I'm tremendously excited about that rotation. Uh, no, no. I mean, they should be tremendously excited about having Bartolo Colon and just the, the attitude that he brings and the, the fun that seems to surround him. But uh, Absolutely. You know, I, I'm personally going into this season wondering if Bartolo Colon is going to be this year's Kelly Johnson, where the Mets make a trade with the – with the Braves at some point in July and they bring back Bartolo or Ray Dickey uh, as a, as an option to extend the bullpen uh, with a long relief arm or have a, an extra, extra option as a fifth starter at so, uh, somewhere down the line because they, they know the guy, they know the person they can, you know, they can absorb the cost because it's only a one year deal. Uh, and it would only at that point be, you know, a third to a half of a one year deal. So, that's kind of that's kind of the way I've I've looked at that setup, and you know you're right. I think overall, if you're assessing this National League East going into the season, it's it's really a two-team race. Yeah, and I think that uh, certainly you know from my standpoint, um, you know 
I think that makes it easier. I mean, certainly for the Mets, obviously the Phillies are nowhere near competing. The Marlins, again, you know, I, it, it's so hard to feel uh, good about what happened there, obviously, from a baseball standpoint. And I'm not I'll, – I'll, you'll never catch me celebrating the fact that we don't have to face Jose Fernandez again because I think that's just bad for the game of baseball. And certainly, you know, uh, from a human standpoint, uh, you know, also just awful. Uh, but uh, the – you know, the reality of it is they, they don't have anybody intimidating really in that in that rotation. Uh, I, I would be absolutely amazed if there are 500 team, which is why, again, Kenley Jansen makes no sense in my mind whatsoever. Um, you know, the reality of it is, is, to me, the Nationals, barring getting Kenley Jansen or pulling a pulling a trade off afterwards uh, for a closer throughout baseball. To me, the Nationals start more looking like the uh, 2016 Giants than they do the uh, 2016 Nationals. Although, let's be honest, both of them have been successful in the playoffs. Yeah, no, I, I I think that the I think the 2017 Nationals, as comprised right now, are a playoff team or at least a playoff contending team. I think the 2017 Mets, right. as comprised right now, are a playoff or playoff contending team. And like I said, I you know baseball always comes down to you know the 22nd, 23rd, 24th, and going down to the, the 29th, 30th, 31st guys on the roster. You know, the, the 25 guys you start the season with are never the 25 guys you end the season with. So there's there's a lot of movement that has to be made uh, by both teams. There's going to be a lot of, of call-ups. There's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, free agent moves, trades, you, you, know, you name it, minor league call-ups that are going to happen. So, you know, the, the more options that are available for either team uh, are ultimately going to be what make the difference between the two teams. So uh, as a Met fan, you know, it's, it's a matter of deciding whether or not there's a, a catcher on the market that should supplant Pulecki or Darno right now. Uh, that's, that's one area that I think a lot of Mets fans have targeted as an area that could be very, you know, that could be improved. I don't know how greatly it would depend on, the, the contributions that Dar- no may be able to make if he was ever able to stay healthy. Uh, and, and I think a lot of us have targeted a relief pitcher as something that we hope the Mets are able to, to get. Uh, you know, I would hope that they would be able to get one, you know, one or two or even three more guys to be able to compete for both end roles going into the season. You know, I think that uh, I, I do think we'll have some bullpen competition. I think uh, you certainly see a few people, including uh, – a uh, friend of the show, Josh Smoker, who will be joining us in a couple of weeks, uh, probably after the holidays, uh, to talk about uh, the absolutely awesome season that he had this year. Uh, two things I wanted to bring up that are just uh, one, you mentioned the idea of Bartolo Colon being uh, this year's Kelly Johnson. I'm just not convinced, though, at this point, that next year's Kelly Johnson isn't, well, Kelly Johnson. Um. <laughs> no, I, I, I've, I've, I, he's been a guy I've been wondering what's good, what the market is with him. Obviously, you know, I, I think the Mets right now kind of have ideas of using Jose Reyes, Kelly Johnson role. Uh, right. I, I think a combination of, of Reyes and to a lesser extent for the corner outfield and first base will almost feel like Conforto may be getting typecast into that role because of Terry Collins's. Uh, reluctance to use him every day, and right now with the current glut of 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 outfielders, 
you almost have no choice but to to play Conforto out of position in right field now because Cespedes is clearly your everyday left fielder. So it's either Conforto playing out of position in center uh, or right field every day or splitting time with someone else and then getting some time at first base. So, you know, as much as I would love Kelly Johnson and his versatility uh, on this roster, I don't see a spot for him right now until the roster shakes out and a couple more moves get made. And, you know, the catcher situation, it's an awful tricky one. I mean, the, the reality of it is, is um, I think my, most Met fans, my my um, faith in, in Travis Derno has, has been shaken. Um, not in the sense I think he's a good player. I think he's a good person. Uh, however, his ability to stay healthy and stay consistent are certainly worthy of questioning. Um, I do think uh, having Glenn Truck as our catching coach slash third base coach will improve. Um, his track record is stellar. Um, I mean, this is a guy who survived, literally survived every management change in the history of the Arizona Diamondbacks, and he would have survived this managerial change. Um, he just chose the offer from the Mets over staying with the Diamondbacks. Uh, but um, the uh, the thing about the catcher thing is, wait, unless you want to make a change just to make a change, I just don't see improvement out there. Uh, I'm not convinced Weeders is worth the money. Uh, I think the improvement level is, uh, for his age and the years he'd require, I think is too much. Obviously, Wilson Ramos was uh, damaged goods. Had he not been, I think it's a no-brainer. I think he's a New York Met right, quite frankly, uh, because we know the Mets, I mean, they're saying they're willing to go into 27 with what we got at catcher. And I actually believe, Sandy, that that's what he's saying. But we are talking about a team that came within a Nats wing of pulling the trigger on acquiring Jonathan Lucroy. They were in multiple rounds of talks for Lucroy before they moved on to Jay Bruce. And the reality of it is, is um, they know they need to upgrade. Honestly, the, the, what I see happening with catcher Rye is I see them going and, and giving that last chance to Travis Darno. If they can pick up somebody, if it doesn't work, if they can pick up somebody hot hand, not necessarily a great long-term solution, a hot hand at the deadline, they'll go pick up that hot hand at the deadline. Otherwise, I think he's the Mets' major, major players to secure Lucroy as a free agent next offseason. Yeah, Especially uh, with the new draft pick scenario. I, I agree with that. I think uh, I honestly think that Wilson Ramos was more realistic for the Mets this season uh, coming off the injury than he was uh, it had he been fully healthy uh, for a combination of reasons. Number one, I think that the Nationals probably would have spent, if, he had, if they knew that he was going to be healthy, I think the Nationals probably would have spent to keep him. Uh, and had they not, I think the market would have just been so high and the number of years that would have been committed to Ramos as a free agent Probably, uh, the, the years and dollars probably would have been more than I think the Mets would have uh, been willing to commit uh, at that point in time. I think they, they still need to or still want to give a look to Darno and see if he can get a full healthy season under him and failing that, what they have in Kulecki to figure out if there's going uh, a way or a, a timeline for them to move one or both of them somewhere down the road. Uh, I think that leaders, if you could get him on a on a one or two year deal, would be great. But I think dollar amount may be more than the Mets are willing to consider. Uh, the the option that I see out on the market that I think that they may uh, keep tabs on would be a guy like Wellington Castillo. Uh, 
but I don't know ultimately what uh, what market will develop for him uh, and whether the Mets will decide to put any resources there. You know, the thing about Matt Wieters, it's worth noting, is there really hasn't been a whole lot of rumors about Matt Wieters so far this offseason. Now, mind you, he is a Boris guy. Um, as far as I know, I'm pretty, Wieters is Boris, isn't he? I'm pretty so, yeah. sure he is. Um, and so, I mean, you know, obviously he's we, Boris is going to push the uh, – yes, he is. Um, the uh, They're going to push as long as they can to get that long-term deal for him. But this is a guy who also took the QO last year. Um, he took the qualifying offer. And um, the reality of it is, is that um, he didn't this year. Um, if this is a guy that, you know, come middle middle uh, to end of January is still out there, and he, it's possible that that comes down to I'll take a one-year deal and see what I can get next year. Or I'll take a one-year deal with an option and see what I can come up with there. Uh, because you're absolutely right. As of now, I don't see a market for Matt Wieters. Uh, I'm not seeing a whole lot. I mean, certainly a lot of Orioles fans are kind of clamoring for Wellington Castillo. Uh, Matt, you know, they've definitely uh, they've definitely um, kind of written themselves out of Matt Wieters. It's certainly possible he could go back there, uh, but um, you know, I think Castillo is is at least as likely an option as as uh, Wieters, but. Uh, they seem to be the only team really after a catcher at this point. And if uh, you know one of those goes off the board and you know the Mets are out there looking, Sandy's played this hand perfectly because he's pretty much said, we'll go with what we got. And, you know, I might point out something I've maybe mentioned once or twice on the show before. If I haven't, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm saying that very sarcastically. I'm warning you. Rule number one, Sandy lies. Uh, yeah, you're, it's, I mean, it's rule number what one. he says, he what did. he says public is not what they do behind closed doors, and and that's that's exactly why I think that the Mets are going to be active, and why I think you will at some point hear them connected to one of those two guys. Yeah, it's it's certainly possible, and you may not even hear it. I mean, again, I still love from a couple of years ago. The Mets are out of money. They they spent all they can. They're done with the off season. Twenty four hours later. Mets signed Bartolo Colon to two-year deal, $10 million per. Oh, I didn't jump change. Wait a minute. They didn't have any money yesterday, and they didn't get rid of anybody. Um, so, I mean, I think, it's, um, I, I think it's one of those things that uh, Sandy plays his cards close to the vest. I think that's why some people in the media aren't exactly always happy with him uh, because they, they kind of want to look inside the, you know, they want to look behind the curtain and see the wizard at work. Uh, but... Um, for those who you know really, really, really don't think that Sandy does anything, I really encourage you to get Steve Ketman's book from a couple of years ago, Baseball Maverick. Uh, especially the the whole talk, pretty much an entire chapter spent about the Mets' pursuit of Robinson Cano, which you know some Mets fans dreamed about, but really had no idea how far the Mets really went in an attempt to get him, and how much basically had the go ahead for management to make it happen. So it's it's kind of funny. It's the stories you don't know. It's the trades you don't know. And quite honestly, Rye, as good as uh, Cano has been for the Mariners, uh, I sure wouldn't want to have him in, in in blue and orange for that contract. Oh, no, no. Um, you know, that was what, a 10-year deal? A 10-year or 12-year deal? It was whatever uh, the contract uh, was. I'm bringing it up right now, but, yeah, it it it, um, it was, it's, it's at least 10 years. 
But he, for yeah, a contract of that size, that dollar commitment. Two forty. Yeah, a contract of that size with dollar commitment in a in a ballpark that honestly really doesn't favor that uh, left-handed hitting all that well. Uh, doesn't do, doesn't really do it any favors. Uh, is, for a guy who probably is going to play out the last three or four years of that contract as at least a part-time designated hitter, uh, you know, we criticize the the front office for not committing resources, but uh, just as bad as as not committing resources is misallocating the resources that you do have. Uh, And uh, as much as I want to see a championship in the short term, I, I'm I'm more realistic and know that year after year, you're better off having a chance every year for several years than having uh, one chance for, for one year uh, because in a small sample size of a, of a five or seven game series, you never know what's going to happen. And we've seen plenty of wild card teams who have snuck in as the the last team into the playoffs who have gone on to championship runs. And uh, being the best team on paper doesn't mean that you're going to win the, the World Series at the end of the year. Yeah, no, absolutely not. I mean, and to give you an idea on the Cano contract, he's going into his fourth year in Seattle this year on a 10-year, $240 million contract. It actually is spread out nice and evenly, $24 million a year every year. Uh, with some bonuses built in, full no trade clause, and uh, oh yeah, he's going to be 35 next year, and he's still got seven years. This contract takes him through his age 41 season, but uh, you know, I think that uh, had he gone for a five-year deal, he could be in blue and orange right now. Had it been a six-year deal, maybe even then too. But the reality of it is, that Sandy was wise and pulled away at just the right time. But uh, it's one of those things that just because you hear nothing and you see nothing doesn't mean nothing is happening. Now, it could be. And, you know, sometimes I think Sandy wants you to think something's going on when there isn't. Uh, but it's very obvious that unlike past regimes who had more more leaks than a uh, than a overused sponge, uh, that, uh, quite frankly, uh, this is a pretty tight ship that Sandy runs. A lot of stuff doesn't make it out into the media. Uh, even when you look at the, the whole thing with Ioannis Cespedes, uh, that contract, you know, hey, we, you know, we, we hope to get this settled out soon. We hope to get figured out one way or the other soon. Um, basically, um, you know, about three hours before the signing comes up, you know, Met sources privately indicate um, optimism about signing Cespedes, and within three hours, uh, Mets have Cespedes on a four-year deal. I mean, that's, yeah, that, that's, that, that's, that went from that's Mets optimistic to contract details in three hours. Not even contract. Not, yeah. That went from Mets optimistic to Mets are going to re-sign them in about 20 minutes. Exactly. And, I mean, it was one of those things that, you know, especially this time of year, you, especially in social media, specifically Twitter, you have to watch for the little blue check more than any other time of year. Uh, there's just certain times, you know, NBA trading deadline, you, you look at see uh how many Adrian one uh, Adrian? How oh, I always fall over his name. Waj. Uh, you, you always have to check for his check. Ken Rosenthal. This time of year, uh, you know, you, you have this whole cadre, and I only follow the real Ken Rosenthal. I, I've never been tricked by a fake. Uh, they don't pop into my feed. It wasn't a retweet. I still clicked the tweet to make sure it was legitimate. That somehow the real Ken Rosenthal hadn't been hacked. Uh, before I was like, oh, we got him back. That was fast and painless. And, you know, before long, you had everybody confirming the sources. Yeah, everybody had it. Um, and it's one of those things. I just love it when Sandy does that because it just 
no matter how many times he proves my point, there's certain people that still won't believe me. But uh, Sandy lies. Sandy's stealth. And you never know what truly Sandy's doing. This is a man I would not want to play poker with, sir. <laughs> no, that's a good analogy there. Um, so, like you said, there's there's a lot that has the possibility to happen. There's a lot of it that we're never going to hear about. There's going to be, you know, plenty of misses that, that are never reported. There's going to be plenty of near misses that may never actually have been that close to happening just because, uh, you know, something is floated out there to try to put pressure on someone else. Uh, and I, I'm sure that we're going to have a situation where one of Bruce or Granderson is going to go from zero to traded in, in just as quick of a time period. Uh, you know, everyone knows they're on the market, so it's not going to be something where it can come as a shock. But, you know, when it happens, I have a feeling it's going to be something that has been worked on for weeks, but it's only been talked about publicly for hours. Well, Ryman, it has been great to uh, actually sit down and talk some Mets baseball with you. It has been far, far too long. And uh, let's let's look, extending your window here and get you in for the final show of 2016, whether or not EJ is back or not. Uh, It's always good when we can have the trio together. If not, uh, the two of us uh, take care of business while EJ is taking as much deserved time off to spend with his uh, growing family. Uh, I'm, you know, I I don't anticipate a whole lot going on in the next week, but you know, Sandy does surprise us. That's for sure. I think we both made that clear today. Oh, I'm sure we're going to have to talk about next week. So I I definitely look forward to, uh, to wrapping up the year and and moving into next year uh, with, with one final show. Absolutely, and we'll uh, most likely have a guest. Keep an eye on the Happy Recap account. EJ is up there. You, you may even catch a baby picture or two. I think I've seen a few pop out over there. Um, pop out not the right word, but you get the picture. Uh, no, I actually don't picture that either. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, the Happy Recap, you can follow for all show information and to find EJ. Uh, Ry, where can folks find you on the, on the Twitterverse? That's at Big Country Griff. Big Country Griffin. Of course, I am at The Real Hoof. You can find us here every Sunday at 5 o'clock and, of course, download all week. And I know a lot of you download, so thank you each and every one of you for taking the time out of your day to download and listen to us. Whether you're driving, uh, walking, or whatever you're doing, we appreciate each and every one of you. And watch out for that tree on the left. Until next week, let's go Mets. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.